Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. All right, y'all ready? We're going to walk. This is... I've got a lot to say today. I've spent a lot of hours. I've probably worked more on this message today than I've worked on any message in, in um, a long, long, long time. And the reason why is because there's so much information I want to present you, but I want to do it so, uh, I want to try to make it concise, okay? So I've got a point I want to make, and I want to make that point, and uh, I think Paul's trying to make a point but he gives us a lot of information, and I thought about skipping some of that information, but it is inspired by God, and I think it will speak to us if we'll let it, all right? So y'all, good, here's our agenda. We're gonna work through the entire third chapter of Galatians, and we're going to do like the first nine verses in chapter four. All right, so before I get all serious, I asked my wife the other day if she plays soccer. I said, you gotta play soccer, because you're a keeper. Come on, guys, learn. It, it's good to learn from me, all right? Uh, my, friend's, my friend has a bakery. Well, he had a bakery. It just burned down. Now his business is toast. <laughs> you like that one, huh? All right, good, good. All right, good. As long as I get a Heather, okay. All right, so here's, a, here's, here's what I really want to talk to you about today. Have you ever been in a relationship that changed as you grew closer to one another? you ever been in a relationship that changed? Like uh, married, you know, you, you meet them the first time and you're like googly eyed. Oh, they're so awesome. They like me and I like them and all oh, the feelings are there. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And then you've been married 20 years and you're like, hi. <laughs> it's possible to love somebody much deeper after 20 years without any of the googly eyes or stuff because love changes. And, and part of the reason we have such trouble with divorce and remarriage in our culture is because people are still trying to live a juvenile view of love after being married five years. You gotta grow up at some point, all right, right? So how about parents? Those of you that are parents, you know, you, uh, you had little kids and uh, you're like, do this, do that, do the other. And, you know, you feel like you're crazy because you're always yelling at a kid and then the kid never does what you yell them to do. And then they grow up a little bit and they turn into your friends. They're not your kids anymore to, to tell what to do. You actually, if you do it right early on and you tell them what to do and you enforce your will on them, later on they can become your friends. You can actually talk about stuff, Right. And if anybody remember that day when you were a kid and you like realized how smart your dad was and, and like, I remember being a little kid and being afraid of my dad, but as somewhere around 21, 22, all of a sudden my dad became really smart and he became my best friend. D that relationship changed. How about student? Anybody ever go from a student, like where you're in awe of the student and you have to, a teacher, you have to obey the teacher and, you know, in kindergarten, you're afraid of Mrs. Lennox. <laughs> and then, and then you do like I, I, when I did my master's level study, one of my professors, I'm going to quote later, uh, my, my professor and I actually became friends and my professor, my teacher actually was confiding his secrets to me and asking me to pray with him about some things he was struggling with. 
Wow. You notice how relationships change? That's what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about how our relationship with God and, and our relationship with the Old Testament scriptures are meant to change. At some point, they need to change. And that's what I really want to talk about because previously, Paul learned, we learned that Paul wrote this letter of Galatians because he was mad at the Galatians. They had followed the gospel of Jesus, the new covenant of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and they had been joined to the new covenant, but yet now they're trying to go back and live the old covenant, the Jewish way of living, obeying all the laws and rules of Jewish uh, um, religion. So this letter was written before AD 50. This is key because Paul's going to write it in AD 48. And, and that's, that's within 18 years of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That means that this was not some religion that was made up hundreds of years later, but, but we literally have an accurate representation of what the apostle Paul wrote. And I will another time maybe go into some of the geekisms of that, but we know this is what Paul wrote, declaring Jesus is God, Jesus is the Lord, and Jesus is the only way. Within 18 years of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he had already preached it to these people and now he's writing back. So this message was right there at the resurrection of Jesus. It's not something made up by the church hundreds of years later. And we know that because in, in AD 50, in Acts chapter 15, the church confirmed what the apostle Paul wrote. So that, that's real key. So then Paul is saying about the Jewish scriptures of the old covenant of the law, he is saying that the covenant of the law is now completed, fulfilled, and obsolete. It's completed, fulfilled and obsolete. Those are the words that he uses to describe this much of your Bible. It is completed, fulfilled, and obsolete. And, and uh, those are three different passages we've talked about before, but I, I give you the one from Romans chapter 10, 4, that says, for Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law, the teleos. He is the end of the law. Now, why then do we still have the Jewish scriptures and how do we relate to them? That's what I want to talk to you about today is why do we have the Jewish scriptures and how do we relate to them as people who live in this new covenant, in this new relationship and new identity with God? Are y'all tracking along yet? So without the background of the Jewish scriptures, we would have no understanding of God's interaction. We would have no, no record of his prophecies of Jesus coming to fulfill God's plan. We would have no interaction of how God's justice and his mercy and his love looks. So the Old Testament scriptures are there to inform us about how we should live this New Testament life. And, and he's not undermining the Old Testament scriptures. He's just simply saying, you don't live under those rules anymore. They still inform us. And we're going to use a couple of words to describe that in a bit. So the work of Jesus changed our relationship with God and our identity. So accepting our identity shapes how we relate to God and the Old Testament scripture. So accepting our a new identity in Christ shapes how we relate to God and the Old Testament scriptures. I'm gonna say it one more time. Accepting our identity in Christ shapes how we view both God and relate to God and the Old Testament scriptures. All right, with that being said, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word with me today? And we're just gonna jump in Galatians chapter three, verse one. We're gonna go straight there. And uh, I told you, Paul's mad. How many of your mom ever disciplined you? 
Your dad ever discipline you for calling somebody a fool? Anybody, parents ever discipline you for calling somebody a fool? All right, because Jesus said, if you call a person a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, I guess, wasn't there that day. So here's what he says. You what? Foolish. foolish. Now, the word foolish is anomia. I means it negates everything that follows. Anomia is the word for brain. So he's calling them brainless idiots. You brainless idiots. That's Paul, not me. You want to write an email, write it to Paul. He will read it. I won't. All right. He literally calls them foolish, brainless idiots. And he says, you foolish harvest ridgers. No, I'm sorry. You foolish Galatians. Before, uh, who has, and we'll talk about this word bewitched in just a second, and it doesn't mean twinkle, twinkle, twinkle. All the people over the age of 50 laughed because you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't get that, talk to somebody over the age of 50 and they'll tell you what tingle, tingle, tingle means. Bewitched, bewitched, da, 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 da. All right. Wow. Rough audience. So who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. And if you didn't like how I said it, that's how Paul was saying it. Only one thing from you. Can't you see him up in his face? His veins are red, yelling. Did you receive the spirit, which is key. This is the key to understanding that the fulfillment, he's going to point out later, the fulfillment of our relationship with God is that the Holy Spirit indwells in us and gives us the power in us to follow God's laws. That's what we're going to talk about next week, the spirit versus flesh dichotomy. It says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by what? Believing what you heard. Did you get it from obeying the law or believing what you heard? And then he starts again. You ready? Verse three, he says, are you so stupid. I know we're not allowed to use stupid. That's, we discipline our kids for stuff like that. But Paul is mad. And when he gets mad, are you so foolish? Having begun or beginning by the means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish your calling by means of your flesh? Are you trying to do it yourself instead of letting God do it in you? This is, this is tough stuff. He's mad. He's mad. You know why? Because he's watching the people he loves destroy themselves and he doesn't like it. Anybody ever have somebody close to you that you love destroy themselves? You watch them like self-destruct. Maybe they become alcoholic or drug abuser. They start dating that wrong person and lose their ever loving freaking mind. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And he's saying, are you such an idiot? God gave you the way to do it, and you want to do it your way. You want to do it your way? This ain't going to work. So, Father, I pray that today you would help us as a body to establish our new identity in you so that we, with a people of a proper understanding of who we are in you, would be able to walk out the life of the Spirit in the power of the Spirit, fulfilling the goals and purposes in life you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Now, wait, wait, don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet because there's somebody close to you. They hadn't seen anybody smile and be nice at them all day long. Would you turn and just smile at somebody and be nice to them? Let them know you're happy to see them. It's so nice to see them. Hey, if you're online, this is real. I am happy that you're watching. Hey, God bless you. All right.
So what we're going to talk about is um, understanding our new identity. We start by how did we get into this new identity? And first of all, our relationship with God is by faith, not by works. Our relationship with God is by faith, not by works. So if you are, you're foolish, you're foolish because somebody is leading you astray. There's somebody that you value them so much that you're being led astray. And Paul says back there in Galatians chapter three, verse one through three, he says, you foolish Galatians, who, who has bewitched you? There's somebody that's leading you astray. And one of the core things that we've been saying is, is that you show me your closest friends. I will show you what your life's going to look like in the next couple of years. Are they angry? Then you're going to be angry. Are they, you know, are they uh, disciplining themselves with their money? Then you're going to, dis- you know, when you go to Financial Peace University, you get better with your money because you're around people that make you better with your money, right? You go to church, you know, you start hanging out with people who love God. You're going to follow God. You start hanging out with people trying to get away with something. You're going to try to get away with something. So he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now that word bewitched is an interesting word because it, um, what it means in the Greek is somebody that is leading a person astray to superstitious magic. And we got a problem in the church and we got a problem in our culture. Our, I know our culture, they're all so logical in science now, but they really aren't logical in science because all those logical science people, they're just as superstitious as anyone else. They, come on, how many people do you know? I believe science, yet they read their horoscope. You know, if you read your horoscope, why not just wake up in the morning and say anything because you know, you're gonna meet somebody today and they're going to be nice to you. <sighs> and I met somebody and they were nice to me. Therefore, my horoscope is true. I need to follow everything it says. It doesn't say anything. You know, the superstition abounds in our culture. It really does. Superstition's everywhere. Come on, it, it really is. It's especially abounding in the church, though. We're, we're incredibly superstitious people. I mean, people out there in the world are superstitious. They're always looking for a sign that it's the right thing to do sign? You want a sign? You want a sign that it's the right thing to do? I'll tell you how superstitious we are. Now, I grew up Pentecostal, 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 Pentecostal. You are in a Pentecostal church, but I grew up weirdo crazy Pentecostal. I mean, they over the edge, down the street, around the corner, and you were in our neighborhood. All right, so I grew up that way, and everything was superstitious. As a matter of fact, there was this verse in the Bible that says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And you know you know how Gideon put out the fleece before God? So everybody was always fleecing and looking for a sign and looking for a sign and looking for a sign. Well, my brother, apparently, now my brother was a world-class athlete in his day. And when I say that, I'm not lying. I threw him an alley-oop when he came out of boot camp, and he hit the rim right there. He's an inch taller than me, and he hit the rim right there. He went to state in five separate track events. He set records on all of our scores. I watched him one night in a basketball game. Back when whole teams would score 40 points, he scored 45 points on a team one night himself. He was practicing for several years with the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith, West Ark back then, and and it was a school right across the road, and he he would practice with them. And the coach there said, if you come play for me, I will give you a full scholarship, and I will guarantee you that when you leave West Ark, 
your third year of college, you will be playing, if not starting, for the University of Arkansas. I will guarantee you, with your talent, you will play for the University Division One scholarship athlete. You come to school with me, you will do that. Now, there was another college that offered some, there were a couple other, but one of them offered him a full ride scholarship as well. Now, this place was a dead end track to the middle of nowhere. It was 45 minutes down past nowhere in Oklahoma. And he did this to make his decision, looking for a sign, he flipped a coin. And he went to the dead end school and lost his full ride scholarship because he was looking for a sign. I, I've, I've talked to people for years who are always looking for a sign. I mean, always looking for a sign. You know, uh, they, hold on, foolish means not thinking. You don't think, you're just looking for some spiritual sign to excuse what you already want to get away with. That's, that's what it is. You're looking for a sign and you'll make a sign up out of anything. I had a girl one time, we were, we were youth pastors and this girl told us, I've asked God and he gave me a sign that it's all right to have sex with my boyfriend. 16-year-old girl told me that God gave, God gave her a sign that it was all right to have sex with her boyfriend. By the way, th do you think that relationship lasted? About three weeks. Why? Because they're not ready. Anybody? Do, hold on, let me see. Do you have people around you that tell you when you're being stupid? If you don't, then you need to get in a life group because we need some people around you that will tell you when you're stupid. Because if you're asking for a sign and the Bible says, God's word says something different and all the Christian people who love you tell you something different, but your sign says something, then you're stupid. You are bewitched. By the way, that's, that's superstition. By the way, uh, what do they call those people that shut up, set up these shops on the corner and they like read your palm and all that kind of, what, what are those people called? They're what? Psychics. That's it. That's it. Did you hear about the psychics convention out in Las Vegas? Yeah. They had to cancel it due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> hey, listen, superstition is a dead end road. And Paul is saying, if who has led you into superstition? And I just want to tell you today, listen to me, church, listen, quit following superstitious signs. You want a sign? Here, I'll give you a sign. There you go. Use your brain. There, here's your sign from God. Talk to somebody that's been there before. If you got problems with your marriage, talk to somebody that's got a successful marriage. You got problems with your finances, talk to somebody that's come successful in their finances. You got problems with your children, uh, talk to somebody that's been through that. You got problems with your own personal direction of your life, you know, what you should do. Talk to somebody that has some sense. Don't be sitting in the echo chamber of this culture and listening to what the idiots on TikTok are saying and thinking that you're going to find a good way to live your life. Are you, uh, yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> Why is it we listen to people on TikTok who are social influencers about how to live our lives and how to follow God when their lives in private are total wrecks? If somebody's relationship is a wreck and they've had 14 girlfriends and can't get married, why do you want to listen to them about your dating advice? Are y'all are listening? Yeah. Who's bewitched you? 
caused you to be so superstitious you think like everybody else. We're going to come back around to this in a second. The word that we're going to talk about in a minute, stoichia. It's just you think like everybody else. God, listen, your identity is you're not like everybody else. Stop thinking like everybody else. Believe it or not, you are special. Hey, you fifth grader, listen to me. You are special. You're special. You sixth grader, you listen to me. You don't have to be like everybody else in that kitty concentration camp called a middle school. You're special. Active. All right. <clears throat> so we covered all that. Verse five. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Are because you believe what you heard. And he's going to circle around to believing and he's going to talk about believing. But before we get to believing, did, if you're here today, you probably rode in a vehicle, right? When you went to that vehicle this morning and you took that key and you stuck it in the ignition, did you think when you turned that switch about is the battery, does the battery have enough stored electrical power in it to go through the cables to start the starter? to in, in cause the stir, uh, starter to turn over and that starter to begin pumping the pistons, which then will inject more fuel into the, the piston mechanism and the oxygen to mix through your carburetor to cause a fire that will then cause your engine to turn over. Did anybody think about all that? No? Now, if I'm, I'm not a mechanic, so I probably got some of that wrong, but the fact of the matter is this. You didn't think about it. You know what you did? You turned your key and when you turned your key, what did you expect? It start because you believe. You believe that engine's going to start, right? If that engine doesn't start, you call a mechanic to fix it, right? So what it is with faith, at some point we have to do this. We have to believe that God is who he says he is and that his plan for our life is better than ours so that when we wake up in the morning, we're not looking to the news to figure out how we're to direct our life today. We're looking to the word of God. We're looking to prayer. We're looking for his spirit to speak to us and we start up his presence rather than starting up the presence of the craziness of this world. And if you're, so that's what I mean by believing. I mean, believe. So example is Abraham. So it says also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now this is key to the argument here because Abraham believed God before he was a Jew. This letter is written to people who were non-Jews and a few Jews in the church and some people from the outside came in and said, you have to obey all the Jewish laws. And, and Paul is going to write this letter and what he's going to, I'm cluing you in in advance before we read it. What he's saying is, is that Abraham is the father of righteousness and he got his righteousness through believing instead of by obeying all the rules of the law. He got his righteousness by believing because when Abraham lived, there wasn't any law yet. How could he obey it? And by the way, Abraham is the first non-Jew included in God's promises. And by the way, all the Jewish people wanted to be a part of Abraham's promises. Do you know what Abraham's promises are? I will bless you. I will cause you to be a blessing through you and through your seed and your children and those who are far off. I will cause you to be a blessing to all people. You're going to be the head, not the tail. You're going to have a great life. You're going to live in God's fullness. You're going to live in my presence. All of these things are the blessings of God promised Abraham. And what Paul is including here is us in that blessing when we believe. So he says this. 
He says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. So you can be a, a child of Abraham without being a Jew because when Abraham received these promises, he had no law, there was no circumcision yet. Now scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That means you. So that those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham is key to Paul's argument because he is the father of all Jews and he's the father of all Jews before there were Jews. So you get included in the blessing. So Abraham didn't even have the law, but he still believed by faith. Galatians 3.10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So if you're trying to be good enough, you're cursed. As it is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book. So if you don't do everything written in Genesis to Malachi, if you don't do everything, you are cursed. Can I give you a little test here for just a second? See if you're cursed or not. Can we? I'm not even going to give you all the laws about how to offer sacrifices or how to dress or cut your hair, whether you have a tattoo or not. I'm not, not dealing with any of those. I'm going to, I'm going to just go to the big 10, you know, the 10 commandments, the original 10. I'm going to ask you a couple questions and, and you can tell me whether or not you are really obeying everything written in the law. How many of you have ever lusted after someone sexually? You looked and thought, mm-hmm. If you had that thought, sorry, you broke the law. Because it says thou shalt not commit adultery and Jesus defined it that if you've lusted in your heart, you've already broken the command. Any, don't, don't tell me, your spouse might be sitting next to you, right? But you've broken the law. How about this one? How many of you have ever told a story that isn't true or, yeah, ever told a story that's not true? Maybe you got in trouble and you just sort of shaped it so you wouldn't get in quite as bad a trouble. Any, wait, you can raise your hand with me. Anybody in the room ever done that? And if you didn't raise your hand, you're shaping it right now and you are a liar right now because <laughs> you've done it. How about this? How about this? Anybody ever looked at somebody else's car or house or bank account or boat or girlfriend or, or boyfriend or something like that and said, wow, I'd like to have that. Anybody ever done that? Listen, I only gave you three and you're all, every person in this room's broken all three of them. So that means something. You have a problem. Every person in this room is under a what? Curse. Because you didn't obey everything in the law. So goodness, this law thing, it's horrible because cursed is everyone who doesn't obey everything written in the book of law. So clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous are not justified by obeying everything. They're justified by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things, they're going to live by them. So if you're going to try, now this is the problem I have, and I'm going to read you a quote, but you're going to try when you become a Christian. This is the problem we have with Christianity in America, is you're going to try to get saved, believe in Jesus by faith, believe for eternal life, and then you're going to believe, because this is the problem with American Christianity, that you have to obey the rules. And this weird mixture of New Testament faith, which we will talk about in the coming weeks, 
The weird mixture of we get to live this way, oh no, we've got to obey all this, is the weird mixture that has made our faith untenable and unacceptable to a culture and actually makes us miserable. Because you're still trying to be good enough and we've already established, haven't we? You're not. So when you try to live this Jewish Christian mix of I'm going to obey the rules, but I'm going to love God, you can't do both. At some point, you're going to have to stop worrying about obeying the rules. And all the rule, break, rule carriers in the house get nervous every time I say that. You're like, oh, look, we're all going to go crazy. No, no, wait until you hear the one rule that we do have from Jesus. It'll take care of all of it. And if you'd live that rule, it'd take care of all the other rules. But the problem is you don't want to live that rule because it's not this. Obeying the rules is not a matter of behavior. It's a matter of heart. And your heart's in the wrong place. And Jesus' answer is not to come to give you more rules or to punish you if you don't obey the rules. I know you're under a curse because you don't obey them, but I'm going to tell you in just a second how Jesus took care of it. Your job is not to obey the rules. Your job is to believe in Jesus and to wake up every morning and apply your belief by starting with him. We'll talk about that more in detail next week when we get to flesh and spirit. All right. But you know, our desires for sin, we're like bugs. We're like moss attracted to a bug zapper. You ever watch one and moss like flying around looking at the light, looking at the light. And he's flying around. You're not, you're not going to do that, are you? And sure enough, he just goes to the light, go to the light. And it's all over with. By the way, that's how most of us live our lives. We live just like everybody else, attracted by the sin. I'm going to follow my desires. I'm stoichia. I'm going to act like everybody else. And then our lives are trash. God's plan is different. You are made to be different. You have a different identity in action than everybody else. Here, I'll read this quote. This is from Dr. De Silva, my friend, uh, who was one of my professors. He said, the most powerful threat to real Christian living is the tendency of religious-minded people to replace or at least supplement the vibrant living relationship with God and the direction of the Holy Spirit with a code of rules. I'm, I'm going to read that again. The most powerful threat to Christian living is the tendency of religious-minded people to replace the living, vibrant relationship with God and the direction of the Holy Spirit with a code of laws, rules, and regulations, exchanging the power of godliness for outward forms of righteousness. So there is a curse if you try to obey all the law. But look at 313. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that's why Jesus came and died, is he took all of our failures and all of our sins and our inabilities to obey the rules and the law, and he died for us. He took the curse for us, and he canceled the law. He did away with it. It says, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. 
And he, speaking of Jesus, redeemed us in order that all of the blessings, here we circle back around, all of the blessings given to Abraham might come to you, you Gentiles, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we could live in the promise of the Spirit. Next week, that's what we're talking about. So two keys to understanding the Old Testament writings and how do we read them? First of all, we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament writings as the seed. Now what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna write some stuff. I'm gonna read this, I'm gonna tell you this real quick. I'm gonna do this fast, so I want you to hear it, all right? Can you put up the seed verse up there? It's the seed. He's gonna talk about Jesus being the seed. So back in the Old Testament, there was a promise made to Abraham and to his seed. In the original documents, that, that seed is a singular word, not a plural. And what Paul is doing is he's saying that Jesus, the singular seed, is the fulfillment, not the children, not the many thousands of babies is the fulfillment, but Jesus alone is the fulfillment and the completion of all the promises given to Abraham. So all the promises given to Abraham aren't given to individuals, they are given to one and that one is Jesus. Hopefully you understood that because here we go. He says, verse six, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Under, oh, sorry, I'm at the wrong place. Uh, 3.15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, and so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say to his seeds, plural, meaning to many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And what I mean is this, the law, which was introduced 430 years after Abraham was lived, the law does not set aside the covenant that was previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through the promise. So therefore, since Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and all the law, if we join up with him, that makes us one with God's blessing. So verse 19, why then was the law given at all? Well, it was added as because of transgression, because we all broke the law, like we've already said, right? We're all lawbreakers. Until the seed, Jesus, who, to whom the promise referred had come. If, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Well, absolutely not. For if a law could have been given that would impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But the, this, those rules don't make you, your heart different. It doesn't give you life, it just convicts you that you're wrong. But the scripture, has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what has been promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those of us who believe. So when Jesus, the seed, died to put an end to the covenant, he included all of us who believe in him, the seed, that we now inherit the promises of Abraham. So what that means is this, this law was written not, you all ready for this, this law and these prophets were not written to give you rules to live by. They were written to show you your sinfulness and to point you to the fact that you need to believe in the fulfiller of the promise, who is Jesus. And yeah, all right, well, I'll move on. Second word is school teacher. Now, the word here is pedagogos, and pedos in the Greek means foot, and ego means I lead you. So the one who leads those who are underfoot, <laughs> nursery teachers, school teachers, uh, 
the pedagogos means those who lead those who are underfoot, so lead small kids. And that word is translated in our passage as guardian. With that being understood, I'm gonna read the text now. It says, there, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. How are we held in custody? Well, the law locked up, uh, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our pedagogos. It was our school teacher, our guardian. It was our, our rule giver until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. All right. So when I read this pedagogos and I think about teachers, I think of a guy named Mr. Cottrell. Mr. Cottrell was a fifth grade teacher. And um, so Mr. Cottrell was about... He's about six foot eight, I think, and I think he went a little around 300 pounds. He played some college football. He was a big guy. He was a fifth grade teacher. Now, I, I was in a school that all of our, all of our grade school was in one, one building, and there were first grade, first grade, second grade, second grade, third grade, third grade down the hallway. After you got to fourth, fifth, and sixth, Mr. Cottrell was the disciplinarian of fourth, fifth, and sixth. And Mr. Cottrell had a paddle about that long and it was wood and it had a handle on it. And what he would do, Mr. Cottrell, if you broke the law or the rules, he, would, he was the disciplinarian for that area and he would take you out in the hall with your teacher and you would stand out against the, like this with your hands on the wall and your butt sticking out like this, you know, so the skin stretched nice and tight. And then Mr. Cottrell would take that wooden paddle and he would whack and hit you on the keister. And, and now I understand that's child abuse, but back then, that was just how it was. Yes. I, obviously, I'm damaged for a lifetime. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in that hallway, though, because uh, <laughs> I got in a few fights and broke other rules. I don't remember many of the other rules. I got in a few fights, I'll say that, though. And uh, anytime you got in a fight, Mr. Cottrell would paddle you. And, if, and, and the more you got in trouble, the more Mr. Cottrell would add his weight and power to it. So by the time we were, <laughs> I was in the sixth grade, it was like, oh man, here it comes. But you know, you know what's amazing is all of that discipline never, all of those swats never once made me stop my behavior. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble. I never once stopped my behavior. We won't talk about high school because I don't want to set any bad examples for you. <laughs> but that, that's what he's talking about here is the guardian, the school teacher was there to paddle you when you stepped out of line. Are, are y'all catching this? That's what the, the law is. Those of you that want to live by the rule, you want to be paddled all the time? What are you, a masochist? There's problems. All right. But Jesus came to fulfill the law, to give us a new relationship and a new identity. So we step from school teacher into a new law. Galatians 3.25 says, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. We're no longer under the discipline. We're no longer under the fear of the discipline. So the purpose of the law was to teach us that we need God. And we've all agreed with that, right? We aren't good. Look at Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all now children of God. So in Christ Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you are now children of God. If you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, that's why we still practice, practice baptism. 
If you're baptized into Christ, you're saying publicly, I submit to God's love and God's purposes for my life. I don't need rules. I have Christ and you have done something. You literally put on the clothes of Christ and you become Christ to our world rather than your ego or your selfishness. All right, you've clothed yourself with Christ. And now, who does this apply to? Well, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, so your race doesn't matter. Neither is there slave or free, your economic status doesn't matter. Nor is there male or female, your gender doesn't matter. So the, the blessings of God are available to whom? All people, all times, all races, all genders, all economic status. God's love is not given to a few elite people, but to anyone who will have faith. Hmm. And then it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. How did you become Abraham's seed? Well, because Jesus is the seed who fulfilled and we now step into his blessing. And we are, here's the key thought, you ready? We become heirs of all of God's promises. All right, quickly, I'm going to end this up. You ready? Galatians 4, 1 through 7. What I'm saying, as long as the heir is underage, so I was going to stop at chapter 3, but I had to go here because he says this. He explains himself. What I'm saying is as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, right? So the, the slave in the household and the kid that has no, you know, the little kid just learning to walk doesn't make decisions for the household. He's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So you can follow Jesus with all your heart and, and say, I believe in him, but until you grow up and you change your identity, you're going to live less than God's blessing and less than God's fullness for you. At some point, you gotta grow up and you gotta step from and under the law and you have to step into faith where you believe God, you walk in the spirit, you clothe yourself with Christ, and you think and act differently than everybody else in the world. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery to the, here's the word, elementary spiritual forces, that's stoicheo. In other words, you, you thought just like everybody else. You had the same values as everybody else in the culture. You were just like everybody else. You were stoicheo. You were in slavery to think like everybody else in the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent a son born of woman, born under law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God now sent a spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit calls out, listen to this, you go from being a kiddo with no power to one that is an heir that says, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are God's child, you now live like an heir to God's promises. Galatians 4, 8 through 11. Then we're done. Y'all ready? Pay attention. Formerly, when you who did not know God were slaves to those who were nature, by nature not gods, when you acted and thought about worship, about, about righteousness and being good when you thought, just like everybody else in the culture, you were a slave. But now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it you're turning back to those stoichia, those, those normal thoughts? Why would you be normal? Why would you think like everybody else in the culture? You are God's child. You are an heir of all the promises and blessings of God. And you want to think like everybody else? What are you, foolish? 
apparently only about two of you got that. I, I want to make this very clear. You are different. Act like it. You don't have to live in fear of whether or not the economy is going to die because your God is Jehovah Jireh. You don't have to live in fear of what the government is going to do and whether they're going to take over or something because your God is El Shaddai, the supreme ruler over all the universe. Your God is more than enough. You are an heir to more than enough. Why do you live scared like everybody else? Why do you think like everybody else? What are you, stupid? I'm sorry, I'm using Paul's words. I didn't say that. Paul did. Remember all the way back to the beginning? What are you? Do you want to be enslaved? Look at his words. Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? Trying to be good enough, never being enough, always feeling like you're never enough. Do you want to go back to that life? Why would you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to just say, I trust you, I believe in you, I step into your power, your miracles, your strength. I step into you, God. And then he says this, this listen, look at the ending. He says, I fear that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I'm afraid. Why do you look for a sign? When God has given the Spirit to live in you in power, why do you live in fear and anxiety when God has more than enough? Why? Why do you live your life like you're just like everybody else in our culture rather than believing that you are Jesus with skin on and that when I walk into Walmart, Jesus is meeting that person and they say, oh, I got a problem. You ever meet somebody on aisle four? Oh, I'm going battling with cancer. Why don't you just drop your cart, walk over and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Why not? What are you afraid of? You afraid of believing? Come on, when are you going to accept it? Your identity will cause you to view yourself, the world, God, the whole thing differently when you will step out of this fear of punishment and step into the fullness of God's presence. Why are you living like everybody else? Why? Why would you want to? Why would you want to live without hope for eternity? What is, what is wrong with you if you would ever want to be normal like everybody else? I want to be abnormal. I want to be heaven kind of normal and earth kind of abnormal. for you? Too passionate for you? Let me tell you why I'm passionate. Because I'm sick of watching your marriages get ruined because you think like everybody else and you got to feel love rather than be committed and faithful and loyal. I'm sick of watching kids grow up and they're like, lives get trashed out by believing all the lies about your identity and who you are and what you got to do to have fun. Listen to me. I've never had more fun than in the presence of God. stop being normal just go all in 
Just go all in. Just be weird. Just go ahead and believe. Go ahead. Act like you're a follower of Jesus. Act like it's real. Step into it. You, today, right now. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Can you guys drop me for a second? I've got to ask this question. Would you bow your heads with me real quick? Just, just drop, guys. If you're in this room today, and you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Why would you want to continue living like everybody else when you can be a child of God? I invite you right now to become a child of God. If you would like to be a child of Jesus Christ, I'd like you to raise your hand around this room. I'd like to pray with you. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. There are others? Yes. Anybody else? It's your time. It's your day. Today's your day. Everybody prays together. Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. We're family. We do this together, all right? Everybody join me. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Please receive me. I believe in you. I receive you by faith. Thank you for receiving me. You have my whole life. I'll be weird for you. So we can be weird for eternity together. Amen. Man, if you prayed that, you believe that, guess what? Come on, it is your day. It is your day. You get to be weird forever. I'm going to ask, I ask them to, uh, to play a song. And uh, we'll, we'll be done in about four minutes, depending on you. Okay? But while they play this song, I, I wanted to ask you to do something. If you're weird and you fully believe that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead and that all the power of the Spirit lives in you and you have all the promises and blessings of Jesus, I want to invite you to step into that by faith. If you've got something in your life right now that's bugging you that you, you'd like Jesus' help with, there's signs, there's wonders, there's miracles, there's power of God available. What I'd like you to do as an act of faith is... Just a second, I want you to step out into your aisle. When you step out in your aisle, what you're going to say is, I am an heir of the blessings of Jesus. And I'm going to step out here as an act of saying, Jesus, I believe in you that you can do a miracle today. I don't care if it's sin you're struggling with. I don't care if it's a problem you're having with a relationship. What I want to invite you in just a second is for you to step out into that inheritance and you just say, Jesus, I claim my promises and my blessings. So on the count of three, that's you. I want you to step out in the aisle right now. One, two, three. I'm out in the aisle. I'm there. Around this room, there are people in the aisle. If you're standing there and you look over and you see somebody you love and care for, and you want to step up and put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them, we're going to do that. Their band's going to play this song. As they do, we're going to pray. We're going to call out to God for our inheritance. Can we do it now? Let's go. Jesus.